0: All Balls Racing, they're all in so you can go all out. Their customer service team is waiting for you. If you have a part or a fitment question, allballsracing.com. They got carburetor rebuild kits, they got Vertex pistons, they got hot cams, they got Pivot Works among their other product lines and uh they got also Bike in a Box complete rebuild kits. I've used these as well on some of my project bikes so I know they work well. All Balls Racing, they're all in so you can go all out. Thank you to those guys and Pulp 22 to save at Race Tech. Get your bike working well. Motors work, suspension work. They can modify your motor. They can fix your motor. They can do both the suspension as well. Love your bike. And it'll love you back. Use the code PULPMX uh, or tell them you listen to PULPMX. They'll give you a pulp discount, which is the best part of the whole deal. Seals, oil, bushings, spring rates. They got it all. Racetech.com. You can save by telling them you listen to
1: Pulp. A PULPMX Network Production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com.
0: Thanks for checking out the Fly Racing RacerX podcast with Darren Stockton, trainer to the stars. He's had a great client list, and you'll hear him tell some stories and give some advice and more. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Fly Racing, of course. Uh, Shane Malcomath, Joey Savacchi, using Fly Racing. The Rockstar Energy Husqvarna Tate 250 team using Fly Racing. The Formula helmets, amazing. The 2022 20, and a half kinetic mesh is the greatest. Gear they got, in my opinion. Lightweight, super vented, super comfy. Uh, they got a lot of color sizes as well. Colors and sizes, I should say. Flyracing.com to learn more from those guys. Watercraft stuff they have as well. They have a whole hard parts section too. Go to flyracing.com and look at what they got. Off road, on road as well. Um, yeah, everything's at Fly Racing. Thank you to Renthal. Renthal.com, trusted by more uh brands in the paddock than uh than a ton of other companies. And you'll look at their twin wall bar, their fat bar, fat bar 36. They get still, they still make the old seven seven8s bar as well. Really cool website, mountain bike stuff, grips, chains, sprockets. Uh, and of course, their handlebars, man. Uh, leading edge uh, technology. Folks at Renthal, they make great products. You know that. If you're listening to this and you have a motorcycle, chances are you've used Renthal. Renthal.com for more information. Thank you to Maxis Tires, Maxis.com. Uh, really thankful for those guys to uh for for helping us the podcast and whether it's the privateer island one whether it's this one whether it's uh um um the re-raceables whatever it is maxis.com mountain bike tires are great mxst is developed by jeremy mcgrath cade and Are using the maxis tires in main events this year so you know they're good thank you to maxis and uh thanks to uh, you people for listening all right let's talk to darren stockton shall we All right, next up on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast show, uh, a chat with a gentleman that uh, it was nice to catch up to. He was around the scene for a long time at the races and then kind of went away. And uh, we reached out via email and nice to catch back up to him. It is Darren Stockton. What's up, Darren? How are you, man?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm
0: good. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Like I said, you were at a lot of the races over the years, whether it was with uh, Tedesco uh, or Nick Way or Josh Grant or any of these guys. And then um, now you're still in the training business, but not at the races. But I guess update our listeners a little bit on what's going on.
2: Yeah, well, just like you said, I had been involved in the the motocross industry for a long time in terms of uh, training. Um, and trained a lot of guys, Ivan, uh, RV, Josh Grant, you know, Mm -hmm. those type of people, like you said. And then, uh, actually when the housing crisis hit, uh, you know, those years when they were pretty lean in the motocross industry, um, I found myself kind of figuring out, I didn't really feel like moving to Florida as all my friends and family were in California, you know, to kind of go after that program. And so I ended up moving, moving from Temecula back up to Santa Barbara, um which is my hometown and opened up a training business up here and at that time i wasn't you know i wasn't really doing much of motocross i I really moved up to kind of open up a business that i felt would be a little more um you know ride out the the rough spots in the economy and stuff where Mm -hmm. i wasn't so dependent on say like one guy yeah you know in in the motocross game a lot of times you know you can have you know big athlete but if that changes you know it can be hard to to kind of put that all together. And so I'm good friends with Peter Park, who currently trains Chase Sexton. Mm -hmm. And he was working with Chad back when I moved back up here. And so that was kind of my connection to come back up and, and worked in his gym. And like I said, I opened up a training business and I'd always wanted to get back in and do stuff in motocross. And I would still come down and go to the races, but I had to spend some years and get my, my training business up and running. And then once that was really up and going and kind of Stabilized. I like I said. I'd always go to the the races and hang out and talk with Ivan. And I really wanted to get back into it mm-hmm. in terms of helping guys out, especially with all the new knowledge that I had gotten. But obviously, living up in Santa Barbara, it's pretty hard to like be down at the track, you know, in uh, in Corona, yeah, because it's a couple hours away. And so I worked on it with Ivan and really figured out a way that I do uh, all the guys' uh, gym work and their off the bike work. And help with their programming and set their schedule and so i have the guys will come up and i'll assess them um and kind of look look them over and see where they're at functionally how their body's moving talk to them about their training teach them a bunch of exercises and then they you know, head off and go back to wherever their home base is. And then I do all of their video work or all their gym work, I should say, through, uh, you know, through video. Okay. And do that. Yeah. Which, which is funny. It it sounds odd. And when I, when I first started working in with Peter at his gym, he had told me he had some clients that he did that with. And I was like, really, how are you going to, you know, train somebody through a screen? And he goes, you know, it works a lot better than you would think. And, and actually it does. Um, it's pretty good. And so, you know, been coming down to the races and stuff, but I, um, but I had got back into, like I said, working with Ivan on it and we started out, uh, working with Garrett, um, partway through 2019 March banks and that was an interesting project and got him all the way to where he, you know, one Daytona supercross in 2020. And so that was kind of like getting my feet back into it. And it's been really fun and kind of applying that everything that I've learned, since i had stopped you know really being deep into training and yep. then and then coming back into it and applying it all so it's been uh, it's been really cool
0: it's interesting yeah it, it is it's a bit of a doggy dog world in our industry for trainers you've been around long enough yeah. to know that and yeah, yeah. you you know uh, uh riders dump trainers just for no reason it's just for a change it doesn't mean the trainer's bad but then yeah you have to go find someone else and you devote so much of your time to, to one of these guys that maybe you can't find someone else and yeah, it it's a different – definitely, like, in our industry, you know, obviously Alden Baker's the standard, right, and he's got his facility, right. and he's crushing it and winning all these championships, but I've always, yeah, kind of believed that, you know, you don't need that. Like, some guys do. Some guys need you to knock on their right. door and get them on the right. bicycle, but yeah, I mean, if you're self-motivated and you're a professional motocross racer and you know, you're working through video, you're working daily phone calls, you're you're uploading your Strava or, or whatever, your Polar stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why not? Right? Why not? Why Why can't it work unless you are just lazy?
2: Right, right. Well, and, and I think the cool thing is, too, you know, like I've been working with, uh, you know, it's kind of funny how it, it got back into it. But the year before we started working with Garrett, I actually uh, got a call from um, uh, Ryan Holiday. Mm-hmm. And I think actually Bruce sternsome Ryder might have reached out to me at that point to do like an assessment with Jet Reynolds. Yep. And so he had actually come up, he'd gone through some injuries, and that's kind of kind of how it all started, you know, in terms of that. But, but I can tell you it's exactly true what you're saying. Like what I've learned, you know, and now especially with the amateur kids, like it's funny, I was talking to Ryder about it one day, and I, I think sometimes a high-level amateur like Ryder is almost a harder – to train and say a kid like Seth, who's now pro because their schedule varies so much and they're all over, you know, yeah, I mean, they're like yep. going to the East coast, they're going back. And so in terms of what I provide to the riders, you know, and it's taken me a little while to see exactly what I could do from, you know, from up here in Santa Barbara and my program, but it's great actually. I mean, because wherever they go, I'm there with them basically, you know, so yep. rider was at Daytona for the Supercross this year, and they threw weights on his rig and everything, and I had him out doing workouts, you know, through FaceTime out there, his gym stuff. So, so like you said, if the athletes are self motivated and they they really want to, you know, they want to do it, mm-hmm. then it works out great. And also, it allows me, like, I'm a big fan of athletes having riding coaches and somebody to help them out at the track. And obviously, like with me partnering up with Ivan. We did, you know, however many five or six seasons, I think, together where, where, you know, we worked together, him Mm -hmm. as an athlete and me as a trainer. So it's it's perfect because Ivan, obviously, you know, very accomplished racer and um, super smart at the track and with testing. And so he goes out, you know, with a guy's track and then he's got a great gym set up at his house. The athletes can come over to afterwards and, you know, in the morning after I drop off my daughter at school – when I'm driving into my business, Ivan's driving to the track, so we always get on the phone and talk for twenty or thirty minutes, right, and call up the guys who need to kind of get that touch in before they head out for the day, mm-hmm. um, and then do it that way. And so it's you know it's worked out really it's worked out really great. I'm really stoked on on how it's been progressing.
0: Good, good to hear. Peter Park sounds like an interesting guy. Obviously, uh, first met him uh, through Chad. Chad, I mm-hmm. think, was the first guy to use him on our industry. In our industry, and like you said, working with Chase now, Yeah. and he's worked with Kenny, I think, in the past a little bit here yep. and there. Uh, interesting guy, sounds like.
2: Yeah, he's a he's a really cool guy. You know, Peter is uh, he's just really smart, but he's uh, he's just a, a hard worker, like a no uh, a no bullshit kind of guy. You know, and mm-hmm. he. Um, which is one of the things I love about him. And when I first moved back up here to Santa Barbara, which is now just over 10 years ago, he gave me the opportunity to go into his gym and basically train out of his gym. You know, and I had never been at that point I'd only been training motocrossers, right? But for yep. a fair amount of time, I think 8 8 years at that time and then I was like, okay, I had actually just gone in and got certified, like my actual training certification, got certified and everything before I decided to move up here um, just to to broaden my horizons and broaden my knowledge. And so I moved back up here and uh, started working with Peter. And it was cool because he was working with Chad at that time. So there was already some help that I could do with Chad in terms of in terms of motocross. But in terms of overall education, just as a trainer in general, you know, I went from all the years I worked with motocrossers, right? My my athlete is like male age 18 to whatever, <laughs> yeah. 28, perfect, you know, DNA genetic, like pro athlete mold, right? Yep. So I'm yep. like, oh yeah, this is great. You can dig in, you can just throw all the stuff at them, their recovery, all of that. And then moving up here and started training as an hourly trainer along with you know sports stuff and i mean i have trained everybody from you know 12 year old kids to 80 year olds with hip replacements
0: yeah yeah and (laughs) it's actually been
2: really cool yeah you really learn a lot i mean that side of it you would learn more as it relates to generally just the the human body in general that i can take take stuff and and apply it to every athlete um but but coming up to peter's was great and yeah you know myself my background i was a professional road bicycle racer um for a lot of years and then i switched and raced downhill mountain bikes professionally for another i think 7 or 8 years i did on our national and world cup circuit so i obviously had a a good endurance uh, athletic background endurance athlete background um, but also, coming from road cycling, when I made the transition and started racing downhill, I was kind of fortunate because when I first got into downhill, the bikes were pretty short travel, and there was a lot of pedaling mm-hmm. um, within a few years. it changed, and they went to like super steep you know technical courses without much paddling pedaling but I was lucky that i Kind of was able to make that transition with it. Like if I had just been a full-time pro road cyclist and tried to drop into downhilling, you know, three or four years after I came in, I don't know that I could have made the transition. I think it was too, too big radical of a, yeah,
0: yeah. of, of, of a skill set. Yeah,
2: dude. I mean, there was, you know, yeah, downhilling was crazy. It literally went in a season from like five inch travel bikes were okay with single crown forks. And the next year we're like, Hey, where's the course we raced on last year? And then they're like, no, you're over off the side. And it's like (laughs) steep, rocky, gnarly. You're like, Oh man. And for me, that was, you know, that was a, a, that was a hard transition. But, um, but yeah, so moving back up here and, uh, and being involved with Peter, one of the great things was at the time that I started working at that gym, there's this other guy, Eric Goodman, who had come up with this program called foundation training, which I'm also certified in, and that is was just a, a game changer. I mean, even Peter said for himself, too, in terms of body mechanics and what he tapped into and and just some of the, the ills that hit into our body and our movement um, is all about our posterior chain, which is a fancy way of just saying all the basically muscles and connectors on the back of our body. Mm-hmm. And And why it relates is because in a sport like motocross, which ironically is like cycling, not that foundation was designed for that, but you're always – forward, right? You're always kind of like in that attack position bent over with gravity always pulling you down that way. And so a lot of the, like when I work with the motocrossers, you know, a lot of guys, their chins come up a lot, just like cyclists, because obviously most of the time when you're on the bike, like you're riding, your head's got to be up, right? Yep. Uh, You can't can't be staring down at your tank. And so um, there's a lot of, a lot of that body mechanics program that's really transferred over great and kind of weaved its way through all of like the gym work that I've mm-hmm. learned and all the strength training, but being in that gym with Peter and then the guy Eric Goodman who did Foundation, it was just like all these minds coming together and building all of this information. It was happening organically. I feel fortunate that I timed it to kind of drop into that gym and get along with all those guys. I feel like I got a ten year education in about I think it was two years before I decided to go out and, and open up my own you know my own place, which sure. I currently have. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, you, yeah. you started out with Ivan. Uh, and- yes. A real self made rider turned himself into a two time supercross champion, does nations champion, outdoor champion, you know, yeah. and, and won some races at almost every level, but 450 supercross. You started right. with him when he was Yamaha Troy. He, he tells right. a story, you know, uh, not really looking after himself uh, early in his pro yeah. career. Um, you know, the famous story about him, uh, his brother and him <laughs> pounding some beers at Millville for his first ever <laughs> race, right? Like, and then rolling a, in the van. Yeah, yeah. a very unlikely. Great rider. Um, yeah, how was that? How obviously work ethic was there for you. And when you met him in '03, he was on his way. He was riding the 125 for, for Yamaha or Troy, uh, yeah. and he was on his yeah. way. But what what was your early impressions of Ivan Tedesco and getting him, you know, kind of to the next level?
2: Well, you know, it was really cool. I mean, Ivan's an awesome guy, and we're still great friends. You know, and working together on this whole current project. Um, you know, it was funny. I had, you know, when I got done downhill racing, uh, I moved down to Temecula actually for the the bike tire business. Mm-hmm. And when I raced mountain bikes, um, yeah, I designed tires for Maxis. They're high roller. I know you like the Minions, which my my buddy Colin Bailey designed. Oh but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but that was that was what kind of originally took me down there. And so I was working in at Intense Tires. I had retired myself from competition for a couple of years, and I was like missing the that whole athletic process. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting connected with Ivan through Dave Dye. Oh, okay. And, uh, kind of a funny story. This buddy of mine, Jimmy uh, Pierce, who worked in at Intense. I was talking to him about, you know, like, uh, I want to get in and try and work with a motocrosser. And I was buddies with Alden because we actually raced mountain bikes together. Mm-hmm. He was a cross-country guy and I was a downhill guy on Maxis. And, and I would go to the races and stuff. And, and so Jimmy tells me, he's like, hey, he goes, you know, there's this guy. He's all, he's all, I'm not saying he's going to come over. He's all, but you may just want to come over and be hanging out at my house this afternoon as if nothing's going on. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I was just over hanging out at Jimmy's and Dave Dye rolled up and I ended up talking to him. And of course me not knowing anything, he's Chad's mechanic. I'm like, well, dude, I want to train Chad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <I> haven't trained <laughs> haven't trained anybody in motocross. And he's like, well, you might want to start in just a level below that. He's all, but I got this guy. He goes, I think he's going to be really good. He's always a hard worker. Dah, dah, dah. And, and yep. it was Ivan. He gave me his number and I called up Ivan and, uh, I went up to his house and met with him and went to the track one day with him. And, you know, I grew up riding dirt bikes as a kid and stuff, but I had had been out of it. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't been like deep into the sport for a long time. And so I just kind of told Ivan what I thought, like met up, went with him, told him, you know, how much, you know, I figured it would cost. He's like, all right, let me think about it. And he called me up. I think it was like an hour or two later. He's like, all right, let's do it. And so uh, so I got started with him, and you're right. He was on a 125 for YOT, but he was doing a little 250 West Coast. Yeah. And so I just started working with him, and, you know, at that time he was, you know, as Ivan said, there was a period of his life where he maybe wasn't quite, you know, training enough yeah. or doing all that. But yep. when I got a hold of him, he was hungry to do that, but he didn't know exactly what to do. Right. And so it really worked out perfectly because I still, you know, you know, love athletics and feel like if you go racing, you go racing to win. And that was the attitude that I wanted to find in the athlete. And I found it with him for sure. And so that first year when he was on YOT, it was great. I mean, I was, you know, getting out to the track and just really getting a hands on to that sport and trying to apply what I knew, uh, from, you know, all my years of endurance athletics and stuff and mm-hmm. apply it down to a sport where your main event is, you know, 15 minutes as opposed to, you know, longer and uh, like, say, if you're a, a road cyclist, yeah. right? Yep. I'm not, not out there for multiple hours. But the thing is, like I said, that was great as I had done downhill racing for years where my events were four to five minutes. And so I really learned how to to adjust training, you know, and that was a key thing for me, um, you know, is figuring out how to take what I had learned all my years as a professional, but say, okay, it's not quite road cycling. Definitely not. You know, it's not downhilling, but I've ridden dirt bikes and rode them a bunch mm-hmm. and rode enough to understand what was going on. And, and that kind of led me into it. And so that first year on YOT, you know, he got his first win at, um,
0: Pontiac. I was I in, yeah.
2: yeah Pontiac, Pontiac. You're right yep. that year. Thanks. And, uh, and it's funny, you know, I remember that day because I was at home and he he was racing, you know, and uh, he calls me up and he's like, ah, oh, dude, he goes, I crashed in my heat. He's like, I got to go to the LCQ. And he was all bummed out. And I was like, dude, we'll just go yank the whole shot in the LCQ, win that, and then go do the same thing in the main, right? Yeah. As if yeah. that made a difference. Yeah, yeah. But then he calls me up later and that was exactly what he did. And I was just like, "You, And so, yeah, uh, nice. So, yeah, so that was really cool. And then, you know, worked through those YOT years. And it was interesting Or that YOT year, you know, I was coming from from mountain biking and I had, after I stopped racing, I ran a mountain bike team with Santa Cruz Bicycles and we went over to like World Cups and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were, I had good support and I was like detailed, you know, with all my guys, we did, you know, testing, different things like that. And yep. I remember one of the first days I went to the Supercross track with Ivan, you know, YOT shop was up in Valencia then. And we go and we start riding and his clutch goes out and I'm like, all right. And so he calls up his mechanic and he's like, sorry, dude, I can't make it down there. And so <laughs> and I was kind of like sitting. So this is like, I think my second day at the track. Right. Yeah. And I'm going, dude, I mean, like I've been to the races and seen semis, but this sports kind of wank if this guy's all the way out here now as a trainer and everything, because his clutch goes out. Yeah. He can't ride anymore. And I was kind of like, dude, you know, like we gotta, we gotta do something better here. And so, uh, no offense to YOT, I know what they were going through at that time, but um, but as that year, you know, we got through that year and, and he got hired by Pro Circuit and as soon as he got hired by Pro Circuit, man, a switch flipped in Ivan's mind. That was just like, it was instant, you know, yeah, he yeah. just, I mean, I can tell you those two years, there was not a single person that put in more laps, the Cowie track, than Ivan, than Ivan. I mean, and I know, cause I was there every day with him. I mean, and we put in some work, you know, it was, it was just awesome. And, and everything pretty much, you know, we could kind of throw at him. He did it and And, uh, you know, not only the fitness side too, and just like, you know, working on skill stuff that I I didn't know, I didn't know that other riders did stuff like that or not, but I'm like, Hey, break down the track. I knew from, from downhilling, you got to work on sections, you got to narrow it down and work a 10 second section and try Mm -hmm. and save two tenths. you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, kind of just like really built up my own program. And obviously, you know, we had a lot of success that 04 year and, you know, won the Supercross, and then. Oh five, obviously supercross and outdoors donations 0678 you know i i worked with ivan all the way up through uh partway through his factory honda year so so that was great i mean a lot of fun and plus you know when you're winning
0: <laughs> it's pretty yeah
2: be great yeah you know. that, that, that makes yeah. it easy yeah
0: yeah it makes everybody's uh, yeah. happy to do the work right yeah
2: um, that's exactly it
0: obviously you know in our sport road biking is huge and uh and i get it you know it's a way to to get an endurance going and and, and, you know, that's what you want. But but like you right. said, our sports are sprints, right? Supercross especially. They're sprints. And the heart yeah. rate is really high. I I wonder sometimes why more trainers don't put mountain biking involved into our sport than what it is. I mean, some guys do it, but let's face it. The majority of guys are road bikers. And, right. and they'll right. take the mountain bike or the e-bike out for fun and do some of that. But when you want to talk about replicating motocross or supercross, you know, it's on a mountain bike, heart rate spikes and, and bumps and, and, you know, and, and pre jumps and, and things like that. Right. Right. Uh, Why do you think more people don't mountain bike?
2: Well, I think, I I think two things and, and I'll say that I think it's changing a little bit. Um, you know, I think a few more guys ride mountain bikes, uh, now I think with e-bikes, it's great because guys can go in and dial in a little bit of power and keep their heart rate below one forty-five or whatever they need to. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and get out and ride. But I think the main reason is because they're afraid of getting injured is what I think. I don't think anybody wants to go in and, yeah. you know, have that phone call, like got to call up Mitch and be like, hey, dude, sorry about this, you know, high point this weekend. But I was out riding my mountain bike yesterday. And, you know, so I think that there's been a little bit of uh, yeah. hesitancy in that side. But I do really think that a mountain bike, you know. Really, so a road bike is a great training tool, but you're pretty static when you sit on the bike. You're, I mean, your legs are moving, but your upper body doesn't yeah. move much. Your arms don't move much. And like the position you hold compared to what you have on a, on a motocross bike. I mean, a motocross bike, let alone a mountain bike, is so dynamic, you know, and you're, you're moving all around. And so I think that for a road bike, there's many great benefits to it. I mean, getting that base cardio, you can also get out and get a cardio workout in with very little load on the rest of your body. Um, and so from that side of it, it's good. But I also think the the road bike is a little limited, um, you know, in, in some respects, just like we talked about the position, you know, that you're sitting on. And like when I would set up the bike position and still do for my athletes, I mean, I don't go for any type of an aggressive road cycling position. Yeah. You know, like they got to be up. They got to be loose. They got to got to have a little, um, you know, a little room to move on their their fit. You can't just have like your bars jammed all the way down just, yeah, your just seat in, way with up. a bu-
0: bullet helmet on crunched over. <laughs> I just yeah, can't can not really applicable. Right. For moto.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what I do think is cool on mountain biking, and I, I really think that you can see that a lot is like from a skill set standpoint. And I and I think it's maybe even a little more prevalent now of where our sport is going, the athleticism. But you know, when you ride a mountain bike, and I think this is one area where Eli, you know, gets a lot of his skill set from, you know, obviously we know the you know, the history of his dad and Johnny T. I mean, I'm friends with him and race mountain bikes against him, you know, when I was on the series. Like he's been around a long time. He's yeah. just a, yeah, he's a legend. an awesome right. yeah, yeah, and but just just an awesome guy. Right. You know, and uh but the thing is when you ride a mountain bike, you know, especially when you're going down trails, as you know, that are technical or little – you got rocks out in Vegas. It's the same way in Santa Barbara. We got a lot of rocky terrain and you can't pedal through that stuff and you have to really learn how to find momentum on the the backside of your obstacles, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to just hit stuff. It slows you down. You want to try and get over things yeah. and smooth out and really learn how to generate Power on the downside, and I remember hearing a, a interview with Zach Osborne, and he talked about being out at Eli's and riding with him. He said that Eli does something different with like leverage of the rear wheel and always really leveraging the rear wheel into the ground. That he said he doesn't see others other guys do, and I think that some of that, a fair amount of it, has got to come from you know all the years that he spent on a mountain bike and and looking at the obstacles a little bit differently because when you have a throttle. You know, it can get you out of a lot of a lot of trouble or make up for a lot of mistakes. But like on a mountain bike, you know, you roll through a corner if you want to be fast out of it. I mean, you got to do everything perfect. You can't rely on on a throttle to get you out of it. Yeah. So, so I think that there's a lot of good there in mountain bikes too, in terms of rolling speed um, and just being light on the bike and constantly kind of kind of looking at the obstacles a little different. And I, I think you know, if you watch the start of this season, um, Paula. For sure, if you watched – I mean the Honda guys obviously had a banner day. But if you looked a lot of what they're doing, they're using, as I see, using the terrain a lot, You know, using bumps to help you stand up rather than standing up. You know what I mean? Like seating things a little bit and really smooth and really manualing your front end over things, getting over the top of things so you're not hitting them and bouncing off of stuff as much. Um, and, and I see a progression, you know, not saying jet and hunter get that from necessarily riding mountain bikes. I just think that, yeah. you know, I, I was actually talking to Ivan about this yesterday. We were talking about, you know, like for instance, when he first came into the 450 class, uh, in Oh six, right on that Suzuki, it, w- it wasn't the, uh, easiest to ride bike. We'll just say, yeah, um, you know, uh, and so I think, you know, if you look at like, even though like if you look at the Ricky James Chad era and how fast they were going, it is kind of funny when you always go back and look at old races and you're like, God, it looks kind of slow now. Yeah. You know, even even, even of that era. But yep. I think too that the level of the bikes, I mean, just with all the EFI with the suspension, everything, if you look at what the guys are able to do on their bikes now, I do believe it's requiring a different sort of athleticism out of the riders to stay at the top of the game. You know, somebody, yeah.
0: yeah. It seems like, well, it seems like to me, Jet, uh, Hurlings, Tomac, Anderson, the ones that can use their legs and manual yeah. things, just what you're saying, manual things and pull up and and, and, and sort of make the bunny hop, pre-jump stuff. Yeah. Those guys, that's the new aggressiveness, right? That's the new that style is. to me. Yeah, you're right yeah. about that. I, it really is. Um, yeah. How much... How much of Eli Tomac's success, I mean, look, John's an all-timer and everything. He's really right. smart about all this stuff and, and all of that. Eli, born and raised, 6,000 feet, I believe, or something, Cortez, Colorado. Yeah, uh, yeah. How much of a help is that, in your opinion, to Eli's incredible endurance <laughs> we've seen over the years?
2: Well, it's going to help, you know, for sure. There's no way, you know, that. The, I mean anybody knows they've been up at altitude and you come down back down to sea level, you live there your first few days you're like, Oh man, yeah. you know you feel like you got extra gear like if you're riding or whatever so I do think that that helps. Um, you know, and especially when you come, come from altitude down in just about every race other than two, right. Salt yep. Lake and, and, or Denver three, I guess, and Lakewood are, you know, are close to sea level. So I do think that that helps. I don't think it's like Eli at sea level would have sucked and Eli at altitude no. is yeah, Eli yeah. today, right? Yep. He's yep. still, but I mean, I, I do think that it's going to help a little bit, um, for sure. I re- I really think if you look at Eli's career, you know, and you look at, at his father's knowledge and him keeping it as trainer for all that time. I really do think that, I mean, having that type of long-term perspective and guidance is just invaluable, you know? And, and, and I think there was the one podcast that, uh, it was one of the, your Pulp MX shows when John was on there and you Mm -hmm. asked him and he was talking about when Zach had stayed down there and Jeremy Martin, how they were saying they all wanted to do more than what, than what Johnny had them doing. And, and I do think that there's really something to that. And, you know, like like Johnny came up as a mountain biker, but he obviously raced road bikes professionally, too. And you learn how to really put like a whole year of training together. Mm-hmm. Like you really plan out a year at the beginning of the year. You look at all your targets, your objectives, how you're training, your periodization, what you know, what your peaks are, everything like that, and kind of lay out this plan. And, and you have that feeling over years and years and years from inside out. Uh, you know, of of what a body can take and and burnout and overtraining and, and getting tired. And so I really think that that wisdom, you know, to help guide Eli has been a huge part of it. And just like everybody's talking about, you're like, hey, man, the guy's 29 now and he's still killing it and still has enthusiasm. I do believe that's a big part of it, because if you get to the point where you're just grinding and you're starting to dread getting on the plane to go to the races yeah. or not really that excited to get out and ride, it's just a matter of time. You know, before you're going to throw in the towel, I mean, and a and sport of motocross and I tell friends of mine stuff who don't ride and mm-hmm. I try and tell them about the sport. And I think that one thing that most people overlook is literally every time those guys go out and ride, they're taking their life in their hands.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not, dramatic, but it's totally true. Yeah, it really is true. Yeah, it yeah, is, and yeah. it's
2: not like a, a car, right? Where you're you're inside of that thing. I mean, you really go out, so you have to be like sharp and focused. I could go out on a road bike ride when I was a pres- professional and have a bad day you know, and say my legs aren't feeling great. And it's like, okay, I can make an adjustment and still get in some base or or do something, but you don't really have that ability to do that on a dirt bike. Everything's critical. You're, you know, hitting lines within an inch or scrubbing or doing whatever that if you do it wrong, you can have, uh, catastrophic consequences and so i just think that the added stress of that also is something that you really have to consider just just when you consider overall how much mm-hmm. work um you know how much work that a professional athlete in this sport can do
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned that uh yeah johnny t said that about Zacko and, and 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 dunge is yeah. famous for saying you know when yeah. dunge before dunge went to and you worked with dunge for a little bit yeah. before he yeah. went to uh, alden's he was doing too much and, yeah. and and i remember nick uh nick way talking to red dog one time uh about his workload and being very surprised at how little timmy did because he was older he said right and, right and, and i think and you'll know this like alden alden's obviously uh got the secret stuff well he doesn't have the secret sauce he's got the the titles and everything but he doesn't have a secret Rick. sauce in the sense of like he's he's not crushing these guys they're not doing some secret stuff he's monitoring their blood no. level he's going on a consistent routine and he lets the competition amongst the guys push each other and that's right. that's the secret sauce is the competition with the guys it's not the cycling it's not the, the the endurance stuff they're doing, you know, and all of that. So uh, I do think it's funny. There's a per- perception by fans that they're just crushing everybody. E- yeah. John Tomek's crushing yeah. Eli, and Alden's <laughs> crushing his guys. And it couldn't right. be further from the truth, you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, the thing is, anytime you're, you're training an athlete over the course of a year, like especially when you're away from competition, I mean, there's times that you do have to – kind of bury yourself a little bit you know just at that time of year it's the right thing to do when you're loading up putting in a lot of volume but Mm -hmm. when it comes to you know when it comes like you said to going out on the racing season yeah i mean the the you know what makes somebody like alden you know good because i i mean i really like alden he's a great guy i've known him for you know i don't even know how many years 20 years something like that now probably over that you know it's funny when you're talking about like trainers in the business, I always laugh like, you know, somebody hires a new trainer and they start riding good. The trainer's the first one to get the praise. And then as soon as it's not going good, they're the first one to get clipped. Yeah, you know? all, yeah all the and, time,
0: all the time. Right? And, yeah.
2: and I was laughing. I was thinking about uh, Eli and Johnny. Right. And so like he's his dad. But when you think of the ups and downs now, granted, Eli's had a pretty solid career. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially his run from when he got on Cal in terms of not risking races. But if you think that, you know, he had some up and down times, right? People scratching their heads. Uh, You think if he wasn't his dad, he might have got clipped, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, if he was just a trainer, right, you're kind of scratching your head going, oh, man, is this the right thing? You start second guessing yourself. But because he had that trust and belief in him and somebody like Johnny has that that long body of work, he can look and say, okay, dude, you're 15 right now. I can see what's going to get you you to 30. yeah. You know, he, he could see that and lay it all out. And I think somebody like Alden, or I know, you know, when I work with my athletes, um, you know, people, like you said, they always say, Oh, it's this training or it's this thing, but it's really not. It's, it is all of that. But at the end of it all, it takes the one person to look over it all and make the right decisions, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and like, I can remember that year when Ivan won his first Supercross title, you know, and we're getting ready and we're prepping. And we were like, we were like, two weeks out from from Anaheim one and I showed up to the track and I, I showed up, you know, we're we're running it pretty hard and we didn't have like whoop bands and all that back then, you know, but we're marking heart rate and looked at all. And I showed up and I could just look in his eyes and tell he was tired. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just kind yeah, of yeah, like tell. Yeah. And and we had like a big day planned, you know, and I think he had to break in his race bike or something or whatever it was, had something to do for the team and then was going to ride. And I said, you know what, dude, I go, do as little as you can and let's get out of here. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, nah, you know, a final two weeks, I'm all, trust me, you know, and yeah. I, I knew because I had seen that look in my own eyes <laughs> when I overtrained a couple of times, you know, as a professional, and it was like the worst experience. And, uh, and so I just knew. And, and so I, I think that what people overlook, it's like, you know, some people hire a trainer and then they get a program and they're like, okay, I'm just going to split and do the same thing you told me last year. But that was last year. You you could, and I learned this in road cycling because it's so meticulous. You could literally have the best season of your career, and you could go back the next year, start on the same date. You could eat the same food every night. You could do everything and just have a crap year. Just because sometimes things go different. Yeah,
0: just different things. You know
2: what? It's just different things. And, and, you know, in something like, say, something that's, you know, uh, an endurance sport like, say, road cycling, which is pretty brutal, but even in, in, motocross well i think two things one it's just the human body and and sometimes you have to make adjustments and just like you said guys get older right they have more workload in them they might have to adjust their training around um uh, you know, I think that you have to. uh, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought a little bit. I was, uh, if you could remind me what we were just
0: just uh, things are different. About. You're doing the same program. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Exactly. Why? Why you can have a different result? Yeah, that's it. And and things can just be a little bit different. I mean, your body changes. We're flesh and blood. You know, yeah. you can build two identical motors on the dyno and they might come out yeah. a half horsepower different that is a so good analogy that's,
0: that's a good think, analogy by the way yeah you right. about a human
2: yeah. body yeah. i mean of everything going on in a human body and and then the other thing that i think that really matters on that and this is where having a good trainer you know comes into effect is you need to be able to you need to be able to look at that information and be able to know and make adjustments based on what's best the next year and you know you hopefully aren't necessarily doing the same stuff every year especially in the early years of a guy's career you start working with him you want to try and get him proficient at one thing and then be able to to move up you know i couldn't take a guy like say Ryder and give him the same program that ivan was on even his third year i worked with him in the 250s you know ivan was 21 Ryder's 17 it's like you you have to adjust that and i really think that that is the that is really what you're getting with a good trainer is somebody who has that overall viewpoint of it. They've worked with a lot of riders. They've had some experience themselves. And most importantly, they have a program that they believe in that's their philosophy and they run somebody through that program so they have their markers and they have their data that they can look at, you know, and compare. And, and what's interesting about that, what I learned, like, you know, a lot of trainers would skip test days with their athletes, but Mm -hmm. I have an engineering mind. Like, even though I wasn't formally trained at that, like I designed tires and, and worked a lot uh, in product development uh, and mountain biking, I would love to go out on, on test days and watch the guys ride because, you know, you learn about the, you know, you learn about the mechanics of it and everything. Um, But I do think that uh when i was out there what i got to start it off right yot and then i was around pro circuit for two years and then factory suzuki for two years when i was on and i watched all these guys do all their chassis testing and yep. like that first year on suzuki when the for that 450 had a very small window of opportunity where it was good you know and they, yep. had, they left a lot of hair out on the track the test the, the <laughs> technicians were pulling out that year um you know, out on the track, they left it out there, and so, but what I learned was the technicians that had the best methodology were the ones whose racers bikes were the best on the weekend consistently um, and And I saw some guys like bones, you know it was funny the guys would kind of laugh about him sometime. Uh, you know, dude, he's kind of weird, you know, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a little, he's a little out there he's and little I was kind of like, well, yeah, 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 I go, but I think you kind of have to be, you know, and, and in a way it was kind of cool because maybe I'm not that much, <laughs> but I have a little bit of that, like, you know, that real attention to detail and, mm-hmm. and meticulous. And so. In a way, it was really good, like being around Bones, because, you know, he's self-taught, right? He just started pulling husky forks apart way back in the day because they didn't work well. He didn't go through some engineering uh, school and get his degree that way. I mean, obviously, he was a welder and had a history like that. But what was really cool about that is I, I learned it's like, you know, regardless of what your education is, and I think this is for a trainer, you have to be able to practically apply it. And you have to have a good system for checks and balances like any athlete can have one great year. But if they haven't been – if they didn't get there with a plan and they haven't been tracking their data and holding on to it and have something to look back at, the chance of repeating that the next year is pretty slim. I mean, what, like think of Bones, right? It's legendary. It has all these old paperwork with shim stacks and yeah. everything, right, from all the people tested. Think of he never kept any notes. <laughs> and every day he went out the track, right, and you're trying to test again. You're like, wait, what was that setting we had? Like, how, how are you going to – you're going to be wasting time and spinning your wheels. It's the same way in training. And so having something that's consistent that you can really, you know, go over a time and time again. You know, you're a, you're a mechanic, you know, working on yeah. testing, test procedures. Yep. you you got to have a way of doing that. And that was – Probably the biggest thing that really sunk through, I mean, of getting to see different technicians. I mean, I was like honored to be out at the Honda track and watch like factory HRC technicians work. The fact that I got to be a fly on a wall and just watch those guys, to me, you know, I felt fortunate to do that. It's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big experiential learner. I'm really mm-hmm. able to take and pick and pull from what I see. And that was just great. And seeing all the different methodology that that all these different people use, but the ones that – we're able to repeat success in whatever way are the ones that have a really good program and a philosophy that they believe in. And, you know, that's repeatable.
0: Right. Uh, well said yeah. for sure. Uh, Fly Racing, yeah. RacerX Podcast with Darren Stockton. Uh, thanks to the folks at Renthal, Maxis, Kobolinks, uh also at Motorsport.com as well. Um, question for you, Darren. Um, yes. Yeah, I think I – think, well, well, I guess let's go back. Let's backwards a little bit. And I yeah. think, like, you talk about the notes taking and you talk about the – the individual programs having to change from year to year to have success, and you know and you 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 look at somebody's eyes and you know they need rest yeah. or whatever that's why I think like. Look again. Alden's a good friend of mine, and he and his his results speak for themselves. But there is no doubt the results of the two hundred and fifty side over there hasn't been right. working right. And I think right. he's. He, I think they're trying to replicate what he generally speaking. He worked with the older guys, whether it was Anderson and Marv and Osborne and Dunge and and uh, you know RV and those guys. And I think right. they're trying to replicate that with the younger kids. And like you said. You know, a 19-year-old, 25-year-old, different life experiences, different things. You can't. Training is not a cookie-cutter deal, and you really do have to formulate it for each person. And I don't know if they know that yet, or I don't know if they figured that out on the 250 side.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, without me being down there and knowing what's going on, it's hard to comment specifically. But obviously, looking from the results of it, you would say just like you did that that whatever success has been the 450 program. They've had a little bit harder time replicating that in the they 250s. Been, yeah. and, and, you know, when you look at like a, an a- athletic development, right, like long-term, like you say, you look at a kid and you're like, okay, he's 15, you know, and you have to take him all the way through. Like I trained Dungey, He was 17. I still had to sign his waivers when I first started training him, you know, to go to the, to go to the track and ride. And you look at his first day out on supercross, I mean, you're just learning the skill set of that. It's not about like necessarily heart rate or anything. You're just like, okay, I got a seat jump, I got to mm-hmm. get over this. I got to learn the skill set, and you know, it, it's pretty interesting in terms of the demands on like a motocross and supercross racer because an endurance athlete is technically anything from say like four minutes to six hours. You right. know, it could could be a, an, an endurance athlete. A motocross. Well, obviously, based on t- time of workload, you could say, OK, they fall into the endurance athlete side of it. I don't think of them when I think of like a traditional endurance athlete, like a professional road cyclist or something. I don't view them as the same. Now, they're not quite stick and ball sport guys. Mm-hmm. But if you ever go and watch like you could do this when you watch your next race, right, you go through and watch some footage try and just zone the bike out of what you're watching and try and just focus on the athlete's bodies and what actually the demands are of the bodies, like the range of motion that they're going through. You know, when I first started training, Ivan, I had a video camera and I would bring it to the track and videotape. And I remember going home and watching it at night at slow motion and watching him go up the face of like a triple or a finish line jump. And I'm like, dude, his handlebar is like in his lap. And, <laughs> right. you, and you know, sometimes and he's you he's pushing away from stuff. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like weird stuff, you know. And then the other thing is like when you talked about, you know, one interesting thing for cycling and motocross, you know, a big distinction is when you're on a bicycle, you know, your feet are never bilateral side by side, mm-hmm. right? You're always yeah. what they call unilateral one foot in front of the other, whereas a dirt bike, it's exactly the opposite your feet are always planted in side by side. And so right there is kind of one different distinction. So when you think of programming and gym work and stuff like that, it's like, do these guys need to be able to bench press a whole bunch of weight or do they need to be able to do a box jump and get up really high and get their knees up their chest fast in a moment, which is going to help you scrub through a jump different or soak something up, you know, in that burst of speed. And so – as I've kind of learned, you know, with the motocrossers and incorporated the, the gym side of it, it's just it's just pretty interesting from that respect. You know, I think that and maybe this is part of where the sport is going now, but I think that the skill work side of it is something that's going to come more and more into favor as the athleticism that's required of these guys continues to improve. and And I think from that side of things. You start looking at, you know, slightly different exercise and stuff to help them meet the challenge of, mm-hmm. of what's happening on their dirt bike.
0: What's great about our sport, and I just, I've just i said this a few times and I love it. Like, look, it doesn't matter how much a guy like Weston Pike or Carmichael, well, not Carmichael, but Weston Pike or, or whatever uh, does work. They're not going to be a good endurance road cyclist. They're just not right. going to be it. Uh, you're right. also not going to be a jockey, right? There's all these right. body types that... That uh, that you know leads you to be successful in a sport. Not in our sport though. You can be Travis Preston. You can be Damon Huffman, right. who was 150 pounds. You can be right. Carmichael, who's five foot four, and you know, and and actually when he started as a rookie he was kind of chubby. Um, yeah, you yeah. can be these guys and win at motocross or supercross. I love that about our sport. But for a trainer like you, that's also maybe a bad thing because there is no one type uh, to get someone in shape like uh endurance cycling you're like hey man right. these are intervals we're going to do this is what we're, this is where the heart rate's going to be blah 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 but with all these different body types you as a trainer you've got to look at tedesco or, or travis preston or ricky or dungeon rv and be like okay this is what you need more of and this is what you're good at already or whatever tough 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 to uh get a guy ready to go
2: yeah it is it is in that respect it's really difficult but the cool thing also is you you pretty much know that you're not going to get two years down the road and realize they don't have it to be a professional, at least not from a physical standpoint. Like mm-hmm. usually they they have enough by that point that you'll see it. So there is yep. the hard part of it in training. But the cool part in it, just like you said, it has a pretty – uh, you know, pretty big, um, big umbrella underneath which you could be a professional motocrosser. And for somebody like me, who I basically grew out of professional road cycling, I just kept kind of getting bigger and bigger, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. until I was like, you know, paper thin body fat, but just didn't have quite the right combination of fast twitch to slow twitch to power to weight to all of that, you know, to to end up going on further in, in road cycling, which is part of the reason why I switched to downhill because i was you know more more uh, a little bit more suited to that at yeah. that point yeah so you're you're you know you're really really i, I, right I like
0: that, in that part of i like that part of our sport you know what i mean i like that yeah. uh it's cool um what was it like working with anderson the year after he left uh, bakers what i mean look jason is maybe better than ever this year right he's not maybe for sure for sure his best ever yeah he is uh you know you don't get to be as good as him he likes the port put off that he he's uh team fried and and you know just doing it for fun and all this but the dude works hard uh what was it like working with him that first year after he was it was
2: that was great it was really cool um you know jason's just an awesome guy and obviously you know anybody i think that feels like they get an athlete that, that's leaving Alden's, you know, you feel like you're probably going to be maybe under a, a little bit more scrutiny. The athlete will be right. Mm-hmm. You saw what happened with, with Webb this year. Um So maybe he felt a little bit of that heat, but it was really cool. You know, unfortunately with the COVID year, it made it a little hard for us to, to get as really much time together. Mm-hmm. So that part was a little bit challenging, but it was, it was really great. You know, and I really looked at him and, I mean, I even watch him ride now and I know a lot of the stuff that I helped him correct in terms of like body mechanics and strength and gym work and things like that. I can still see in his riding today and things that I fixed. So from that side of it, it was really cool. And then, uh, Yeah. I mean, he's a hard worker. Like I said, just like you said, the whole team fried thing, people like, Oh yeah, he doesn't work hard, but he really does. And you know, as we've, we've, we've talked about, or we've seen all over, there's so much pressure in the sport. People talk about keeping it light or keeping it fun. It doesn't mean that you're not willing to go out and work hard when you have to work hard. But you know what, if, if you have a day at the track where you maybe for whatever reason, your body was putting out 85%, you know, you don't want to be go home and have somebody pull you off the ledge right over one training day. That's a little off. You need to be able to, to kind of, you know, to kind of work your way through that. And so with Jason, it was really cool because he had already been on, you know, a program that he had had success with, but I was able to just talk to him about how he felt things that we thought we could change and we were able to program that in. So he had something that he New and trusted, but also was willing to kind of get outside of that a little bit and try some new stuff. So, so that was really cool. You know, it was a really great experience.
0: Um, I first met you when you were working for Nick way. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't know what years that was. Was that like, Oh, 10, uh, nine, oh, nine, nine? And
2: 10. Okay, yeah.
0: yeah. Nine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I met you before then, then for sure. I thought, I'm trying, I thought it, yeah, I thought you worked with Nick earlier, like uh mock one days ish or something, but maybe not. No, I, um, yeah. Uh, uh, I've always, I've got the, you know, really, really good dude worked really hard for a long time and had a great career. Uh, you know, didn't win really many races, but man, podiums and, 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 you know, made a bunch of money and rode for great teams and represented himself in the best way. Uh, what would you, what'd you work with for Nick? Like as he got older there? Um, how was that?
2: Oh man, working with Nick was great. You know, he, um, it was really fun, uh, fun working with him and, and same thing, you know, somebody who at that point in their career has already had success and going through it and looking to like, you know, find some new things, work different things out in his riding. And so really similar stuff that we did, you know, a lot of track days, I think, you know, for Nick kind of breaking down, we would do a lot of like sections and things like that. You know, I'll say we might have had a motor mount testing day out at Comp Edge where we maybe <laughs> didn't get get a lot done, but uh, you know, if yeah. Nick ever listens to this, you know, he'll get a smile out of that, but because you know, I love Nick, but um, yeah. but no, he was he was really good. You know, Nick's enthusiasm is fantastic, as you know, and he was just so into it. Sometimes you're almost like, dude, you got we got to you know turn down turn the throttle down <laughs> yeah. a little bit, just, you know, just a
0: tad. And, yeah,
2: and Nick would be the one that would always be the kind that would want to you know if all else fails let's work harder mm-hmm. and which isn't always the wisest thing to do and i learned that because i was the same way in my own cycling career like i'm not getting the results i'm just going to work harder and then you end up buried and you're like okay well you know you you start to learn later where the smarter not harder uh you know that phrase comes from but working yeah, that, with nick uh, yeah working with nick was was a lot of fun
0: that leads me into my next question actually i was yes. going to ask you so you look at like the 80s guys like johnny o jeff ward right. I mean, Johnny's still legendary, right? Like, J- Jeremy yeah. Martin was on our show a few weeks ago just telling the gnarliest stories about Johnny O, 50, <laughs> 50 years old plus, just, you know, yeah. punishing him, right? You look right. at – I mean, they would they would race a supercross and then run a, run a marathon. They would do triathlons in season. Yeah. They would do – I mean, Wardy – you follow Wardy Strava right now. It is just insane. And, and Omera is not far off. And, right. I look, those guys are great, but – None of our guys do what those guys did back then, right? Um, yeah. And I, think, and I think because we're smarter, I think we've learned. But do you Absolutely. think, okay, yeah, I was going to, so do you think, yeah. like, were the 80s guys doing too much you know, from what you hear? Uh, and, well, and, and, you know, what's that, what's that balance now?
2: I would say most of them know. Yeah, <laughs> but the few right. guys yeah, the, that were yeah actually, the elite
0: guys, right? Yeah, yeah, the
2: few guys that are actually,
0: yeah, not Lachine, it, I, not Lachine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah right. exactly.
2: I think uh, I think that that definitely happened. I mean, I remember, you know, talking to different guys in factory Honda about, you know, like some of the athletes and say Stanton, some of his years, yeah. you know, working super hard and maybe getting a little bit too thin and stuff like that. And I think that. You know, I think that that was kind of a pretty green time in terms of training. And so what else was there to do? You know, you yeah. just went out, right? You went hard. You you worked out hard. I mean, yeah. I remember, you know, when I was living down there and I would go ride my dirt bike a lot and go up to Glen Hill And I remember hearing some interview or re- actually would have been back then was probably reading an interview with Bob Han. And he's like, dude, you know, I used to go to the track and. Take five gallons of gas, you know, not leave till that thing was empty. And I remember going up to Glen Helen one day. And now, of course, you're talking 20 years later. and I'm like, dude, I'm going to hand it, you know, and, yeah, and burn yeah. as much gas as I can and literally like driving home and not even be able to hold on to the steering wheel. <laughs> so, so I think some of that stuff was like just the meathead smash at training, yeah, you know, like yep. just adding volume, adding volume, but you know what? Back then and for what the demands of the sport were, I mean, think about outdoors back then on the bikes. You were hanging on a lot and hitting stuff, Mm -hmm. where now, just like we talked about, right, your balance is more precise. You're standing up. You're hopping over things. I think that as the demands of the sport change, you know, what the guys have to do changes. Now, it doesn't mean what those guys in the 80s, those hard workers were doing was wrong. Um, It was the best thing for the time. But I think, Yeah. yeah, but just like anything, you get better technology just like with the bikes and the riders. I mean, think about that. That was, what, 35 years ago, right? Oh, think of yeah. anything from 35 years ago. Sure. You know what it is. The bikes, your car, uh, you know, a phone, nothing. <laughs> you know, right. everything is advanced so much. Training is the same way. Um, but uh, but those guys definitely did have that, that smash-up mentality. And I, I think the hard part is sometimes, too, and, you know, it kind of doubles back around to something that you were talking about earlier about how – everybody you need to train them for what they need and and you know my my best lesson one of my best lessons to that as a road cyclist was when i was uh in road cycling uh until you turned 18 when you're in the elite class and everybody races together you're called a junior racer Mm -hmm. you know be like age graded in in motocross you know super mini whatever and so uh, we would go out and do these camps out at the olympic training center, um, you know, two week camp and they'd assess you and see if, you know, they were worth putting some energy into or not. And so I got invited to go live out at the Olympic training center out there and which I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to live at the Olympic training center. I think I was 16 at the time, you know, moved from Santa Barbara and went out there. But I was basically just given the same program of everybody else. It was really not that individualized. And I and you were done. Yeah, (laughs) I was I was put into that, you know, I was just put into that system. Yeah. And uh, it really didn't work for me. And and I felt really frustrated about it. And I actually left I think at that time, I was the first junior that that left. Like they wanted to keep me around and I'm like, hey, I decided I'm going to move home. And I remember the look on Craig, the junior national coach. He looked at me. He's like, what? I go, dude, I go, I'm, you know, I just don't feel that I'm getting it. And that stuck with, that has stuck with me until today is the reason I'm telling you because every athlete is different. I mean, I have an older brother. He's three years older than me. And we were both professional road cyclists. He was US professional road racing champion. We both raced professional and everything. And his body type is different than mine. Mm -hmm. He always had better endurance than me and I had better speed. You know, and and I look at two brothers from the same parents. How similar is our DNA? And we had to train differently. And so when I start looking at athletes, uh, you know, you have to take every athlete and and look at them individually. And I think that that can be one drawback of athletes who have a ton of success themselves, and then they go into coaching. Is sometimes they just go, well, I'm just having them do what I did. And that doesn't necessarily always work, you know, especially if, you know, they just try and have you do what they did. And especially for guys who do tons of work, um, that might not always be the best case. I know Ivan was a little bit more like that. I would say Ivan had a body a little bit more like myself, you know, Mm -hmm. a system where, you know, just burying him and burying him, just doing more and more work, it just didn't work for him, you know, no way. And so, um... So, you know, you figure out where that balance is, you know, what the what the guys need and and that balance. But every athlete is individual and that's the key, you know, is you gotta do what's right for you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Race, Race Podcast with Darren Stockton. Renthal, Maxis, all on board. Also, motorsport.com, man. OEM and aftermarket parts, great customer service. If there's any issues with motorsport, use the contact form on pulpamex.com, and you can uh, um, tell me about them, and I'll get them handled, all right? If it's product stuff or customer service or whatever, motorsport.com has got it all going on. Great prices, OEM and aftermarket parts. Go through the banner on pulpamex.com or pulpamexshow.com to help us out as well. Takes you right to motorsport. There's a whole Pulpamex Show section of our sponsors and things that you can save, like a Michelin uh, tire uh, tube deal and more. Thank you to the folks at Motorsport.com and Coba Links, get your um, bike working well. Get your suspension working well. Corner with some confidence and more Coba Links are lowering suspension links from everything from Aprilia to Yamaha. X code saves you money. Gets you free shipping as well. K O U B A Links.com. If you're shorter stature, wife or girlfriend can't touch the ground, use the code Palpumx.com to make that bike work better with Cobalinks. Links. Uh, thank you again. Uh, K O U B A Links.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Back to myself and Darren Stockton. What? Uh, how prevalent do you think are PEDs in our sport? Obviously, we have USADA doing some some urine stuff. Um, right. Um, we do have some testing. We had we had water for a while. Obviously, they had massive right. problems going on. But uh, you know, I think it, I think there were guys doing it. We had a pretty open rule book. When I got in the sport in 96, Dude. it was basically yeah. like, don't smoke weed, don't take Coke and or much, do heroin. Yeah. or do, And anything no. else I is pretty much, right. You're pretty much <laughs> right. good to go. Um, yeah. and, and, and so I do think it was around a lot back in the day, but I don't, I don't think it is now. I'm sure some people are doing it, you know, I mean, HGH and that kind of stuff is kind of yeah. easy to get now. What do you think? How do you think it it, it, uh, it it is around?
2: I, you know, I, I really agree kind of with you. I think that there was a, a Period of the sport where, like you said, I mean, when I got into starting training, guys, you know, and Ivan into o two o three, And I have to tell you honestly, like coming out of road cycling, I was so naive to all the doping stuff. And I even went and raced in Europe. Like yep. that just wasn't ever part of anything that I did. Oh,
0: I would think so, you'd be pretty much up to date on that with that kind of world. Like that's, you know, kind of where it all comes from, right? But yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. it did. Well, yeah. I mean, really, track and field, it yep. started in beforehand. But yeah, I mean, it, it did come from that. I know that's why I kind of laugh. I mean, I remember my brother and I talking about it years later when all the doping stuff came to light and we were like, really? <laughs> yeah. I, go, I thought that when you got beat, you went out and trained harder. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. think you like went for something. And I and, you know, I remember one of the first times I was at a, a Criterium Tour of Palm Springs and I was sitting on the start line and it was a night race. And uh, and this other rider who shall remain nameless, you know, but I knew him. I raced against him and stuff. And we were sitting there and they're having a problem with the lighting system. And so the race was delayed by like 45 minutes, right? We're sitting around waiting, start night race. And then we finally get up on the start line. And I look over at this guy and he was a sprinter like myself. And he looks at me and he goes, ah, oh, dude, man, he goes, I'm screwed. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, with the delay of the race, he goes, I took my shit too early as I'm just going to have to go for some preems. I won't make it. Duh. And I thought, and I thought he was joking. Yeah. Like, honestly, I was just yeah. like, oh, he's, you know, he's bullshitting me. And I looked over at him and I looked at his eyes and I could see a little glazy look in it, and I'm all, oh dude, he's serious right now. Yeah. And sure enough, he was on fire for the first third half of the race, you know, and in Criteriums, they give out premes like cash money on oh, a lap. Okay. Yep. You don't have to wait till the finish. Like they ring the bell. You might be ten minutes into a race and they'll ring the bell for two hundred bucks the next time around and everybody goes for it and sprints. And yeah, so yeah. He won like four early preems, and then I saw it. him on the sideline halfway yeah, through. Yeah. And so I I had a little teasing into it, but even still, I, I never even thought it it was as big as, you know, as what came out. And so to get back to the subject of doping a motocross, there for sure was a time when I won't say it was rampant, but I I would be all but guaranteed that just about every, you know, big time race in either class, there have been athletes over history that have won them using PEDs. Yeah. You know, yeah. now the thing is, right, just like you said, up until whenever the rule book changed the AMA rule book, it's like, well, if they're not saying you can't do it, then is that legal? By the rules, not if they don't have something that says you can't do yeah. EPO, you can't do steroids, then technically you're not going against the rule book, um, which as a sidebar, the whole thing about not doing weed or being drunk, I've been at some track walks before and seen some hungover dudes that if they would have had <laughs> testing, I guarantee they wouldn't have passed yeah. those rules. No, they either, just did so. the testing.
0: They did the testing at <laughs> Daytona and Steel City. That was it. Everybody knew it was yeah. coming. Uh, but, you yeah, know, John, exactly. John, I did a podcast with John Tomac years ago and, uh-huh. you know, he said basically it, the, the PEDs followed him. He he was in road cycling and they yeah. came into that and then he started seeing guys that he beat beating him. and Then he went into yeah. mountain biking and it came into there. He had to leave that. You know what I mean? He was kind of like, I, yeah. I, I, I saw this stuff going on and John is, I mean, look, John has uh, got some good theories on PEDs in our sport now. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, John knows all about it. So. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see him say, you know, just kind of leaked over into into motocross and supercross eventually, right? But I mean, yeah, it, I do did, feel like sure. now, you know, there is some testing and and it is really expensive, and uh, I mean, there are probably, you know, three or four guys that could afford to do it on a on a serious Olympic level, and and I don't know if they're doing it. You know, that's my opinion.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think just like the sport of road cycling or track and field or any of these other sports that have more of a history of it. I think no matter what, you're always going to have people who are going to cheat, just like yeah. motors or suspension or whatever. You can guarantee me that not every single bike that makes a main event every night has everything legitimate in it, right? Yep. Maybe somebody's, yep. you know. Um, and so I think there's always going to be people that will cheat, but, but the testing and also just the the view of it by other people in the sport is such that now that I think the risk of doing it and getting caught is really high for any of the major you know the major guys you know it's even like, like in road cycling you know y- you know it used to be a guy would get caught doping He's like well i figured i could make 75 grand a year not doping or make you know a yeah. million doping so that's why i did it and i got caught so i'm going to go back and work at my dad's bakery that yeah, was yeah. kind of the attitude of people <laughs> are like okay whatever yeah. but now if you got a guy on a team that test positive, it's a big deal because maybe their team can't race for a month. Right. You it's know, more stigma. Are it's not a more, it's pay- a stigma
0: now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And also there's other ramifications. So I think that side of it works too. But, you know, but I do think that the sport is a lot cleaner. And I think that, you know, that the random testing and things like that definitely help and, and testing, you know, like I went through for Jason, you know, because of his altitude thing, he has a, a therapeutic use exemption. Yep. Um, based on his and so I went through that whole process, you know, with him when I was working working with him and talked to the guys at USADA and stuff and and they're really cool guys and uh the 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 people that I had contact with with and um you know the whole thing with Wada and the FIM and that, what happened to say like Stu and and more like Christian Craig and some of those guys where you yeah. don't find out until eight months after you tested positive and then how are you supposed to go back and test the supplements that have already been gone, yeah, and, you yeah. know, yep. that type of stuff is just bad. And, you know, for the protection of the athletes, especially the innocent athletes who it is possible to get a substance in you from a tainted supplement. I mean, I think less than people use it as an excuse for, but, uh, but I think it still does it, happen. It is a possibility.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think the sport's a lot cleaner. And, you know, if you look at like road cycling, use an example. It's kind of funny now that the the what they put their money into is like fabrics, right? Aerodynamics, wind tunnel testing, things like that. That's kind of like the modern age doping. I mean, they can make you think about it, they have jerseys, you know, race jersey and that are you know they can basically create the fabric into like tiny structures they have jerseys that it's actually cooler for the rider to leave them zipped up Uh, when they're going up a hill and zip them down because the wind hits it and it actually like accelerates it through onto your skin oh i mean that's pretty remarkable right when back in the old days they're like hey just do some epo and you're (laughs) you're gonna get fast that way and so um, so, so again, I do think, you know, there can always be somebody, you know, that's willing to take that risk. But I do really believe our sport is a lot cleaner than, than it used to be, and it's pretty dang clean.
0: I'd like to see you know? more enforcement of IVs. I, I think they're getting yeah. done outdoors, and that is – I mean, I, I've been – I've gotten IVs, and then I've seen riders have gotten IVs on practice days, and then yeah. and then the next day come in and, and, and kill it again, you know? And so I've seen the effects. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd like to see more – more um uh, enforcement more of, that. of that yeah yeah, enforcement. Yep. yeah. Yep. definitely uh, yeah hey um question for you so yes you talk about Dunge and rv mm-hmm. and nick and tedesco and you work with seth hammocker and Ryder d now right is there a common thread uh, through these guys that that you see is there a common like they're not all champions but they're race winners right. and you know they're they're, they're they're the tip of the spear in our sport is there a common thread for motocrossers that you see um, where you're like, yeah, this, this dude, the the, the switch is going to go on. Like he's going to get it. And consequently, you know, for some other riders that you may have talked to or worked with where you're like, this kid's not going to do it. It's not going to get it. Um, yeah, anything like yeah.
2: that? I, I, yeah, I do think, I mean, aside from whatever person's just, you know, genetics are what you're gifted with is, you know, what's going to make them successful is self motivation and like just the hunger to really want to do it. You know, and some people like you know winning so much that's their thing. Other people just hate losing so much that they don't care. You know, people get it from from different motivations. But you know, if I show up to pick up a guy to go to the track and I'm knocking on the door and he's not up, that's a pretty bad (laughs) indication for long term success. Now, now the thing is, I will say for that too, as far as success goes too. You know, it's a little bit tricky because it's such a athletically, you know, being talented and and gifted is such a big part of it um, Mm -hmm. that that you got to be able to to work hard to be motivated. But you look at a guy like, say, Dungy, right? He didn't have the natural ability of, say, Stu or or RV. I'll pick a guy I work with, RV. Yeah. Um, You know, didn't have that natural ability, but he brought something else. His his ability, what he was really good at is just like never say die. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do it and and be meticulous enough in his preparation that he knows I might not be quite as fast as this guy for one or two laps, but I'm going to be faster than him for 20. And he's going to put that together and and so really really what I see for the guys that that spells it out more than anything else is they 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 got to have that thing, you know, and and you can just see it, you know, like like for instance, RV, that guy I can remember when I first started working on him and showing up at the track a couple of times. And and one thing I really respected about him, it's like when it was time to bring it, he would bring it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was a training day, if it if it was a test day, he'd complain whatever, the whole he would, time. Like, he'd complain the whole time,
0: but he'd bring it. Well,
2: yeah, that's true, but he still did it. <laughs> he just as so as it. somebody who complained and then quit. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, but, no, uh, it, it, Nick, I mean, Nick, Nick was work, bicing with yeah. him for a while and just all the stories right. and, and obviously Alden, uh, he's just complaining. he's bitching the whole time, but then he lays he, it down. Yep.
2: Yeah. Bitching about it, but also with a good sense of humor, he'd make you laugh while he was bitching. <laughs> and that's always important because you can't keep laughing about it. You yeah. know, which, you know, it's funny. I was trying to find this old hard drive. I think somewhere I have video of you shooting a 50 caliber, uh handgun, a pistol, yeah. down at, a revolver down at RVs. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, but that's man, the Sandbox now right yeah that's a sandbox now that is the
0: first and only time i think i've ever shot a gun outside of a pellet (laughs) gun so i basically ramped up with a 50 45 or 50 50 caliber
2: revolver yeah Yeah, handgun it's brutal handgun
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right um yeah it 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 is interesting to see that like like i think you're you've you hit you hit on something there like you're you could be the gnarliest trainer in our sport and 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 be like just you know eat right and, and and you know just absolutely live by every rule and if you don't have a certain talent and i know i said earlier that you could be anything and be good at a bike i do mean that but i mean if you don't have a certain talent certain talent you are not going to be a a champion on a motorcycle here you can be great and you can make a lot of money and you can have a great career but to be the best the chads the stews the rvs yeah
2: yeah it really takes that some extra and it's like that determination and grit and really that ability to just like, you know, I believe really like life in general, but racing Uh so much of it is like, okay, you and your competitor keep getting knocked down. Who's the guy that's going to stand up one more time? Like who are you going to dig in? Like look at uh, look at that battle between Kenny and Eli last yeah. weekend at Thunder Valley, right? Yeah, it was great when you and when you think about like think about what those guys are going through. You're in the second moto, right? All the risk that you're taking, you're hitting like lines, you're doing all this stuff, and you think about the pressure Eli's putting on Kenny. You know, and I think Kenny, you know, may have even alluded that a little bit. It's like the the break that he took earlier this year. It's like if you're just, you know, with everything he's been through, if you're just like worn out mentally and you don't have that fight just like in it to just like, I don't care what's coming at me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to send it. You're going to get beat. You know, when you can dig in and somehow just have that extra fight in you. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what's going to propel you. Right. That's what's really going to make you win. Now, yeah, of course, like you can't have, you know, no talent and expect that just hard work is going to get you there. It's not. Um, but once you have that combination, you know, it's, it's, yep. it's the hard work yep. and the determination and the belief in yourself that you can do it is you know is really is one of the biggest things they probably the biggest thing
0: you got to get up and stand up like a lessee stood up on ivan's bike you know like you got to <laughs> yeah. stand up you gotta <laughs> you gotta get up when you get knocked down oh, oh my lie. god you yeah. know
2: i was standing in where glenn Helen. you know that tower that was right yeah. on that straightaway yep. that day and i was standing right there and looking at him and i'm just looking at a coming down the inside i'm going dude He's not letting off. He's not letting off. He's not (laughs) letting off. And then, of course, Kablooey, you know? Yeah. You know, and the thing is about back those days, you know, it's funny too, right? There was no like instant uh, posting, no Instagram, no this and that. And so it wasn't until like a week later that the video surfaced on that. So like the story that came from the Alessi camp before the video surfaced, like what, dude, I wasn't doing anything. And then you see the video and he's like picking up his handlebars and dropping them through Ivan's wheel. You're like, okay, kind of got outed. I think these days people pretty much know mostly if you do something, you know, you're, you're busted pretty quick. No. You know, busted a pretty quick a amazing
0: on it. day for you, and yeah, just a, a day in motocross where you're just like, what? oh, dude, um, that was yeah. Uh, Epstein bar is something I'm dealing with right now. Um, I, I oh, you I, are, yeah, I am, I, and uh, it's something I you know I got an e bike and I, I lost a bunch of weight and I, yeah. I, during I the did. COVID times, I, I was doing 100 miles a week uh, on a mountain bike and and really crushing it and feeling good and and just kind of noticed myself not not being uh, not putting in a hard worker, not fe- turning around right. early. All that stuff and, and yeah, I was just falling asleep at seven o'clock at night. You know all that stuff. Anyways, how much do you have? Uh, have you had Epstein Barr yourself? Uh, have you dealt with it with athletes? And, and, and it's a real it's a real thing. I know in our sport people tend to chuckle at it, but Red Dog had it one year, and uh, I remember after a heat race in Supercross, he could he was exhausted. Oh, so, dude, it r- yeah.
2: ruined you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I fortunately have not had Epstein Barr myself, the actual virus, but I can say that the. Two times, and the second time, which was worse than the first that I overtrained myself when I was a professional, I because I was so overtrained, you get like what's called like a chronic fatigue syndrome, it mimics a lot of the same stuff. You know the good thing is yep. it's not a virus it's yep. a little easier to get over, but I mean, it's terrible, and you don't understand you like look at a person right from the outside and you're going, dude, they look fine and everything, and you go out and you literally like can't even get out of your own way. And the hard part about Epstein Barr is it's just not. I mean, even though there's a blood test that tells you, okay, you've got it, and there's certain markers. Even still, everybody's a little bit different. One person, you know, their their number amount could be down to a certain point, and they would start feeling better, whereas somebody else could still be still mm-hmm. be feeling crappy. And it's really the hardest thing is, is it's like a wait and see thing. And the bad part about Epstein Barr, I mean, as you're going to have to go through this yourself, is. You know, the only way to get over it initially is you ha- you have to do like no high high intensity cardio work. Yeah. You can't stress your system like it's literally like just going out and riding easy, easy. Well, guess what? If you got Epstein Barr and you're totally worked over, and you do that for a few weeks, and you start feeling good. You're like great, but then you put your workload back up, and boom, it comes right back. Yeah, and that's probably the hardest part of recovering from that. I mean, like a knee injury or a bone plate, a screw. Right, you can go in, you can get an X ray, you can kind of look at things, and it's a pretty clearly spelled out what your timetable is, you know, within, you know, maybe five or 10%, but something like Epstein-Barr, you don't know, depending on how bad it is, it could take you two or three months or it could end a season. Yeah. And, and as an athlete, you really just start second guessing yourself because you can still have a great day and go out the next day and just have like an absolutely terrible day. Yep. And you're like going, what in the hell is going on? And then you start to second guess yourself. You're like, dude, am I just done? Do I need to quit? Am I, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, you go through all crazy. of that. And uh, you so know. I've I've had, I'll just say that, you know, Hammaker yeah. he had it, uh, mm-hmm. he had Epstein-Barr and that was something, you know, he had Epstein-Barr and it's really interesting and obviously like not divulging somebody's medical situation, but even with like what Seth went through last year, you know, most people don't realize, like, I know it was kind of funny this year at the, at the you know, Paula, like he qualified fast as he's running up there and people are like, oh yeah, hammaker has been around. They're like, wait, it's only his third outdoor you know as he only did two last year well, he went to buds but he got knocked out in practice so he didn't actually yeah he didn't actually race it but with what he had going on in his system it was a little bit different it wasn't just the epstein bar but there was actually something like from a metabolic standpoint where he was like i don't know how to describe it without you know saying his in
0: too much detail yeah. but it's
2: like his body wasn't like kind of like reprocessing and stuff. He he I mean like he finished some races and he was like literally blue in the face. Well we saw like him his, at Atlanta. His, Atlanta Supercross, yeah, yeah. right? He, he, there you he go. was
0: done. Yeah, done.
2: Yeah. And so he was literally doing, you know, I mean like I started trying to work with him last year in twenty twenty one, but he he could do so little workload we could barely do any gym because whatever he had, he had to do it on the dirt bike, but he literally probably did about 25 or 30% of what Ivan and I would have normally had him do for the year. And that's really hard, that kind of development to make up, you know, even now when you have that much time off, you know, and then even like missing time in supercross, it's like, it takes time to come back. You know, fortunately for Seth, he was able to get all that worked out and, and found a new resource for doing his blood work and checking some of the markers for Epstein-Barr and looking at it a little bit differently. And also, you know, he got a really good internist that was able to understand from like a, a metabolic standpoint what was going on in his body and is, has righted that, you know. And nice, so yeah. he's able to do, yeah, do a workload. And that's why he's, you know, he's up there You're doing, doing that. But Epstein, yep. Epstein-Barr is no joke. You uh,
1: know, it's, no.
2: Yeah. Uh, you
0: know what I noticed too? And obviously I'm older, right? I'm late 40s. Yeah. Sleep. I, you know yeah. for my riding for my pedaling if i have a bad night of sleep my ride's not going to be good uh i really really obviously when you're younger maybe it doesn't matter as much but holy crap if i have a good night of sleep i feel so much better in the morning and my ride is so much better it's it's funny how that works right
2: so. you know this the statistics on sleep are really amazing this guy um i think his name is uh I don't want to say Matt Walker because I'm not talking about the stalker. I think his <laughs> yeah. name's David Walker, but okay. I always get mixed up. But he wrote this book. It's been out for, I think, four years called Why We Sleep. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple – he's done a couple like long interviews, podcasts. I think there's one on Joe Rogan that – if you want to listen to something fascinating because, you know, with sleep, they are able to really detail it. You know, when you talk about reaction time and skill, motor, motor learning and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, they, they – can basically like they had an nba player one year who he he charted his sleep and his only marker was did i get over eight hours or under eight hours of actual sleep right mm-hmm. and yeah. that was his thing and so yeah. he compared and every day that he had over eight hours whether it was a practice day or a game day everything was better yeah and all of his stats in the game right feel, feel uh free throw percentage field goal percentage. Yeah. yeah, Everything. Um, not only that they found injury rates go up the more overtrained you are and the more tired you are like all all of this stuff with sleep. And so they can check like, uh, you know, like reaction times for stick and ball guys, like baseball players, every one of them, if you're under, if you get bad sleep, your reaction time falls off dramatically. And, um, you know, so that's really something to consider. And especially when you think about like, either motocross two times or supercross at the end of the night, right? You're doing a good practice, everything, but then you got to go in there and you got to nail your start for the gate drop in the main after all that time and energy, a bad mm-hmm. night's sleep can actually affect you. And, and even for training, like this is an amazing, something else I learned about, they said an athlete can go out and say you have a skill intensive work day. Like say you're a, you know, like a soccer player or or mm-hmm. somebody that does a lot of footwork, a tennis player and you do a heavy skill day. You get all those same skills and you go home at night and if you get a bad night's sleep under seven hours, which is really the cutoff, their skill retention the next day working out of that same workout, right? So you're not changing your workout. You did. Same thing. They're retaining like 20 to 30 amount better quality of the skills that they learned that day just based on the sleep they had the night after the workout. Yeah, Yeah. so so what you're feeling is true, and then definitely more trips around the sun. You need that
0: sleep yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, so people are know, listening to this. He, you yeah. know, that's, that's, yeah. that's key. Uh, Get there, your sleep.
2: Yeah. And then one other thing, too, you know, in talking about that for the sleep also, and I was going to say for people that are listening, is there's so much phone and electronics time. You know, mm-hmm. you know, being up on electronics late at night, and like if you're up playing video games until midnight, you know that what that's requiring of your eyes and your reflexes and those systems. Not only can your body be tired, but those actual systems can be tired out, worn out on you the next day. Um, aside from whatever sleep you're getting, yeah. you know, because if well, you yeah, what about you're doing how right before focus, you go to bed, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you're up late, tired, and tiring your eyes out, like your ocular muscles. You know, they help your eyes focus and and move them all around. It's a muscle like any other muscle in your body. If things are tired and worn out, your your whole system you know is going to be off. I think that's a, a big part of it. You know, electronics and how much people are on their sure. you know electronics right before they go to sleep disrupts their you know disrupts their sleep patterns. And sleep is everything. You release HGH and testosterone. You know, when you sleep at night, it's your your repair cycle for your brain. You get rid of toxins in your brain. You know, so the the studies on sleep, I think that. As a, a society at large, what we're doing, you know, with our sleep and electronics, I think we're going we're to be seeing the the effects of that for decades to come.
0: Darren Stockton here on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. A few more questions for you. Uh, downhill mountain bike in the mid-90s. So yes. Sean Palmer stories, go. <laughs> palm, <laughs>
2: palm was a guy, when you talk about athletes – who just can believe that they're gonna win and then they win (laughs) that's sean palmer yeah that that guy was you know he he just had that thing in him and he showed up and and just brought a new style and a new attitude i mean we were all wearing lycra before palm you know he was the first guy that was running baggies and a few years later we were all you know we were all running baggies and so he uh Yeah, he had that thing. Really cool guy, you know, um, and just like uh, but he was a gamer, man. He was a competitor. You know, I love seeing guys like that. That's like no matter what else is going on, they get into the gate when that thing's ready to go, man. It's like you can see him drop into a, you know, into a whole nother level. So, and then, and then of course, you know, he, he, bought Emig's bus and all that. So we yeah. had some fun it was,
0: times. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was there on. As well, uh, yeah. You know, the guys at Intense support me with some e-bikes and bicycles mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're on my show and everything else. And you actually worked there way back in the day in Palm era. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Steber, yeah. Jeff Steber, the owner, what, a, what an interesting guy. Yeah. He
2: is a really interesting guy. Yeah. yeah. I worked for three years down there. I ran, when they had their tire brand, I ran the tire company, you know, but we were in the same yeah. facility as the bike company and everything. That was a lot of fun time. I and mean, that was originally what brought me to, down moto, to the yeah. Temecula. Yeah. yeah. And the Motorola and then ended up leading me into, yeah, into my work in, in motocross. So. So that was really cool. Uh,
0: yeah. Also, uh, what's your Bob Hanna story in, in Holland? What, what, where, where does that come <laughs> from? Yeah,
2: you know what? That's a really funny story. So, you know, I grew up. I mean, my parents we were totally—you know—they were in racing motocross, like Southern California scene in the '70s. They got yeah. into it early, like tacos and all that. And I right. was always down to Indian Dunes and Saddleback and all these places. And You know, it was funny. We would go to the races and stuff, and you would see the top pros over here, right? And they usually didn't – they were like, all right, whatever. Maybe a little bit cool guide, you know, maybe not as open as it is today. But I was like, all right, whatever. So our family, we lived over in Holland for two years when I was a kid. Opportunity through my dad's work, and we kind of took a a long family adventure over there. And so there were GPs over there, How old are you at this point?
0: How how old are you?
2: I'm uh, like 11, 12 years old. And, you know, and like my parents actually knew – Decoster knew rd he had a house in santa barbara okay um lived up here when we were kids and so like i kind of knew him you know from way back then and stuff and so we were over there and knew about the gps so we're like oh we're gonna go over and watch some racing and so i remember you know i'm cruising around checking it out and i see hannah and i'm like oh dude that's bob hannah you know the same dude that i i met at the track and so i go over and i'm like hey how's it going and he's like you speak English?
0: And then he was like, dude, and
2: he must have talked to me for like 10 minutes, you know? And it was kind of Was funny he racing like, or was
0: he? Oh, was no, it?
2: he was. No, he was racing. He was oh. a full racer. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. over there. But it was funny in that I'm like, oh, over in America, when there's Americans everywhere, I go, he's got like maybe yeah. 10 seconds for me. But over there in Europe, which I can get, you know? Yeah he had a whole bunch of time to talk to him. And the, the funny thing about that is when I, the first year that I started going over racing on the mountain bike world cup scene, you know, I had just been racing our national series uh-huh. and it was at the height of it too. I mean like full, everybody had a factory team, GT, you know, Schwinn, all these big brands and everybody was kind of clicky and cool, you know? And yeah. so, and I'd come from like road cycling and stuff. And so I was like, all right, you know, I maybe wasn't part of some of the cool clicks and things like that. And then Remember the first year I went over to my first World Cup over in Europe and I just got like the host hotel, which is where everybody stayed. And all of a sudden, all these people were talking to me. You know, because it was the same thing. They were over in Europe and nobody else spoke, yeah. you know, spoke the language. So I'd be sitting at dinner and I just have like a book, right? Pre-smartphones reading. Yeah. And these athletes that would never give me the time of day or want to hang out, they're like, hey, how's it going, Darren? And they like, come over and want to hang out. And I kind of <laughs> laughed. I'm like, hey, I'm like, that's kind of like Hannah was way back then. Yeah, so, yeah
0: really, right? That's and, funny.
2: And I was, yeah, I was fortunate, you know, those two years that I lived over in, Holland when I was a kid and traveled around over in Europe, you know, and then I ended up going back over to race road bikes for part of a season in Europe when I turned professional and then multiple years world cupping that helped me out so much, you know, and back then, you know, there was like, you didn't have cell phones, no. there was no internet, you uh-huh. had like a phone card. If you were in Europe, dude, you really were on another continent.
0: And, and you not, also, uh, you also had to get new money. Every country you went to your yeah. customs, every, every country you went to, right? Like, yeah, it was, oh just, yeah, you
2: know. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a, it was a whole different deal over then. But when I would go back over and travel, you know, like, especially, you know, mountain biking and traveling on the world cup circuit, I've had no problems with Europe. Whereas Americans would come over and they're like. You know, dude, the, I went to the store, it's closed. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, "Well, it's yeah. like 4 in the afternoon and the, and I go, "Well, of course, they're taking a nap." They're, they're napping. Like, yeah. I go, "Dude, they nap for 2 hours in the afternoon." They're like, "Well, that's lame. I'm all, "Dude, get your food before they take their nap and close the store." Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. get that with the um, Yeah, exactly. Get with the program.
0: So, in Santa Barbara, growing up Santa Barbara, uh yeah. did you how many times did you bicycle by Neverland out there?
2: Uh well, That was, you know, I maybe rode a few times by there, but where Neverland was over in the valley, I would be in for at least like a 95 mile day to go ride.
0: Oh, okay, So it's way I've I've been there because way over. Yeah, It's it's by the ranch by Castillo Ranch a little bit. Yeah. So so I didn't know where that. Yeah. We drove by there one time when we went up to the ranch. But yeah.
2: Yeah, I went by Neverland, so I never got never got to go in there and see any like monkeys or anything. <laughs> right. like that, probably for,
0: probably for the best. Probably for the better, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. hey man, thanks for the thanks for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um how can listeners yeah. uh, if if riders are listening to this or parents or whatever, yeah. uh, is there a way to contact you that maybe they you know, you can help them out?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh you know the the cool thing is I do actually have some time right now um you know to add in some other athletes. I I really have put in some time with these guys and uh, really, really have a good idea of what I can, you know, what I can provide for the riders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel really confident about it. So I do have a, an Instagram, you know, my business up here is called Santa Barbara cycling. I don't have something specific for motocross because the bulk of my general business is, you know, through that. Um, so I have an Instagram, you know, they could just DM me through that, or I, I have a website, Santa dot um they can just go on and you know my contact information sure. is on there and they can get through and just email me from there as is, is probably uh you know is probably the best way to go. Awesome. Um, yeah. What uh, a yeah.
0: nice career uh training some of the best, man. That's that's pretty cool to be around some of the guys that you have been at different points of their career, right? Like
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's been, I mean, what a learning experience from being, you know, from being inside the Suzuki semi for the whole fuel gate thing.
0: Yeah. You know, well, and I, was, seeing, I was over at Yamaha, so we weren't very one, happy with the yeah. whole fuel gate thing. So, right, I was, yeah,
2: right. The the lead in there, you know, from, from everything else. But no, it's, it's yeah. been really great. And just being around all these different athletes in a different sport and, uh, you know, and learning it. And I think one last thing, I'd, even though I know towards the end, but one last thing, you know, in terms of the, the 250F, you know, guys and, and guys coming into the sport, you know, yep. one of the one of the parts of all of this, and I hear you talking a lot because, I, you know, I, I love your guys, you know, the podcast that you put out and race reviews and the other stuff. And you talk a lot about the amateur side and mm-hmm. how to develop these kids. And, and it's something that I've had long talks with like Mitch and Ryan Holiday about and even Bruce, you know, at Cowie. And, and it's like, you know, it, it's really tough when they went away from the 125s and started going to 250Fs. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of when these guys jump up from like a super mini. To especially if you're a guy that's on like a good team, right? Like say a Team Green, and you're getting yeah. like not a full PC race bike, but you're jumping up to 250F. Yep. Not only obviously do we know like how big of a jump that is in terms of you know all the momentum of the bike, moving parts, like bigger wheels, weight, everything, but it's also happening that time. The reason they're getting up on the bigger bike is because they're growing, right? They're growing out of the super mini. And when kids go through that growth growth phase, I mean, they go through periods where not only are their connective tissues soft, you know, like tendons and ligaments on kids pre-grow before their bones grow to kind of like make space for when the bone grows, because if it didn't, right, and a bone just starts growing, like everything else is going to be piano wired. Um, You know, if that makes sense to you, like as you grow and, and part of my business, you know, I coach a lot of high school kids. I'm like their independent study PE coach in high school. And I have like a, a weekly conditioning class. And I would watch kids who are say like, you know, 14, 15, Okay, you know, leave for the summer and they'd come back into the start of the school year and we'll go to do like basic bodyweight stuff. And I'm like, dude, this kid looks like a newborn giraffe that's been dropped out, <laughs> like literally lost all coordination. And you know, and that's really something to consider f- for the guys when they jump up on the big bikes because the bike has more power, it's heavier, at the same time, their balance and coordination a lot of times is worse and their body is more prone to injuries. And so that's why it's such a meat grinder, I really feel. And, you know, aside from the fact of you got to win now and all that type of stuff, right? you have a limited window. But I really do think that that that's a big part of it, something that Ivan and I talk about and really trying to develop the athletes and give them a pathway through that, you know, that doesn't wear them out and make them tired or make them more prone to injuries. And then you get in an injury cycle and we can see, you know, many, many kids in the sport that get into that injury cycle and you just lose so much momentum you you can't ever get it back
0: this is something we talked about with Seth uh he looks like he's fought through it but knock on wood so far but absolutely man the formative couple years that you miss time and the treadmill you get off that treadmill and you got to get back on it uh from an injury and your competition's just progressing and Dungy you know guys like Dungy stayed healthy the whole time and um yeah it's brutal and then and then you know like There's been so many like two and done. Just too amateurs that that get too much too soon, two years on a deal and they're thrown away. And and, you know, they didn't produce and yeah, for all the reasons you kinda said, like it's just yeah.
2: It's yeah, it's tough. Well, you know, it's funny. I was uh my my daughter, her mom's family is from Minnesota Mm -hmm. and I was out in Minnesota um a couple of I'm trying to think, maybe four years ago now, and uh and I was stopped by a Whole Foods there. It's kind of by the airport on my way up to drive up to where my daughter was. She lives out with me now, but was living out with her mom then. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm in like, I can't remember one section, you know, and all of a sudden I hear this Darren and I'm like, okay, who's calling my name in a whole, like yeah, who's recognized whole me in a whole foods. And I turn around and it's done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was a year after, you know, he retired. It was and I'm all dude, you know, like what's going on. I ended up Uh, going over one night and hanging out with him and Lindsay and having dinner and just spent the night at his house, kind of catch up and stuff like that. And that was actually really cool because I've been, like, friends with with Dungy all along, but I had never really, like, just sat down with him and just, like, talked about training and stuff. And it was really interesting, you know, what he talked about in his journey about it of really starting off with me was first trainer. And the only reason he did that was because he got that gig on Factory Suzuki. And he looked at Ivan and he was like, dude, who's his guy, you know, and that's how I – I started with him, but it was really fun talking to him about that. And and just like you had pointed out, he's like, oh, man, he goes, I just went through that period where I just felt like I had to work so much, you know, and for for somebody like Dungie to have the, you know, one to just kind of like own it, but two, to be able to look at it all in perspective and look at the things like, oh, yeah, man, this was right. And and this wasn't. But one thing that he talked about was that rookie year when I trained was how he never showed up to races tired. You know, that yeah. was one of the things that stuck me he said, no matter what, he was always there, like ready to go, you know, and, and the thing is at races is you, you know, when you go out there no matter what, I mean, obviously you try and make the, the racing harder than the, tr- or the training harder than the racing. And sometimes you can do that, but most of the time racing is going to pull something out of you. That's mm-hmm. harder than, than what you're doing. And, and I think when you show up at the races, you need to have a little bit of extra in the reserves to kind of like rise up and meet that challenge. You know, if you're a little worn, if you're a little tired out, if you're going in just trying to work so much when the kids are young like that, I, I just think it can have a you know have a real detrimental effect on them. So that was actually kind of cool. All those years later, after we yeah. had a, <laughs> one of the greatest careers in our sport, to be like hanging out with them and, and talking shop about all of that from the early you know the early years, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that so, is, that's, and yeah. it's, and it's nice to see like. You know, you worked with them for a year, you parted, nobody's mad at each other, right? That happens a lot in our industry, right? Everybody's pissing. Yeah. or everyone's talking shit yeah. on each other. Like, yeah, you're just able to just be like, yeah, man, cool. You
2: yeah, know? yeah. Well, that you know, that's a weird part of it but as a trainer in the sport. It's like I always say, like, you know, nobody hires you. When they hire you as a trainer, nobody hires you to be their friend, other than if you're like a man friend, I guess. But if you're actually yeah. getting hired to be a trainer, like nobody, you're, not, you're not there to be their friend. Now, obviously, if you get along and work with them, you become friends. But from the business side of it, it can be hard. And then somebody makes a change you know, and people can be really hurt about it. But I look at it. It's like I just look like Jason, OK? I got to work with him for a year. I feel super fortunate that I was able to help him out and look at it. And like I said, I know that there's stuff that I helped him with. Absolutely, that he yeah. he'll carry over through part of his career. So I look like that with dungeon and I go, dude, how great that I was able to be a part of his career. Yeah, you know, just like RV or or Ivan, you know, all the success we had. You know, Ryan Morris, all these different guys that I was able to work with, like Mo's, still a really good friend of mine. You know, shoot, texts with him, call him up and stuff, see him at the races, and and even like at uh, you know, at Paula, I was down for the national, and I was hanging out over at PC and RV comes up to me. He's like, Hey dude, how's it going? You know? And he's like, man, I saw you over there. I want to come up and say hi and ask me how I was doing. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that feels cool. Like, like, you know, you want to know hopefully whatever your work is that you're like a good person. You don't want to be one of those people that, that when you come walking up, they're like, Oh God, here comes Darren. Let's go the other (laughs) way.
0: We got to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. (laughs) You know? And so
2: when I see like, you know, Lars, who's now the manager, you know, at Honda or bones or stuff like that, like, Hey man, how's it going? And want to shake my hand and, talk about the cool stuff, you know, as part of, mm-hmm. you know, being part of their scope and working together for me, that, that part of it's, uh, you know, not quite, but probably almost as cool as, as the results I was able to get with the riders, just because, you know, I, I ran a, a mountain bike race team with Santa Cruz, you know, I have like eight people on salary and all that. And, and, you know, I, I would always show up to whatever team, you know, if it was a new team for the year, and always go right to the team manager and let it be known that I knew that that was their truck. And I thank them for letting me come in as an outsider and be like a part of their program. You know, let me know what I can do to make that transition easy and always had that respect for those guys because you know, they, they worked their asses off. You know, you were one,
0: Yeah, you know, all
2: those and, and for doing that. And so, um, so, yeah, I would always make a point of of letting those guys know that. And uh, I think when you kind of have that that level that I'd seen it from all sides, it earns you a type of respect. And so when I would see like Goose at the, the races or, or whoever it was, you know, Kehoe, and they would come up and want to see how I was doing and talk to me or RD, you know, that feels pretty cool. Let's you know that aside yeah. from whatever your value was just as a trainer – you know you also have some value as a person which is you know obviously the most important
0: which doesn't always happen in this industry it doesn't doesn't always yeah. work like that as you know right whether it's a sponsor, yeah. trainer or whatever right so
2: yeah exactly it yeah switches around and, uh, Yeah. well yeah, thanks for
0: doing that. this man i appreciate yeah. it people can reach out on instagram or the website and uh yeah, and, absolutely. and see what see if you can help them out and and uh, i appreciate it what what a nice career and glad you're still doing well and, and all of that thank you Thanks for the time on the Fly Racing Race Race podcast, Darren. Thanks, man.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time from the uh, high ceilinged Polish. Oh, boy. Pulp, here here uh, we go. Pulp MX <laughs> studio. I feel like I can somehow hear the acoustics. You oh, know, s- that it's high ceiling. Great. So. Glad
0: you had to get that in before we wrap <laughs> it up, man. Uh, Th- thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All
2: right. Thanks a lot, Steve. Bye. <laughs>